You may open the Word of God this morning to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we'll get there in just a moment. We are studying at this time, by God's leading in our church, the only right worldview. And a worldview is a person's view of the world. That is not very complicated. Don't get confused by the word worldview. It's your view of the world. The origin of the world, the life, purpose of life, morality, religion, the future, where the world's going, so forth. It's your worldview. It's the set of facts, presuppositions, principles, and rules for a complete framework for measuring and analyzing life and making life choices. Where did I come from? Needs to be answered. What is my purpose? Needs to be answered. Is there a God? What is my future? These kind of questions should be answered in a proper worldview. Our worldview is the broad biblical framework that forms parameters for all of our thinking and all of our conduct. They're broad brush strokes. Otherwise, we'd have to preach the whole Bible all over again. And the purpose of preaching is to fill in the details of a proper worldview. If you'll think about preaching that way, it's to fill in the details of a worldview because a worldview is just the large framework, the parameters that keep us roped in of our thinking about the world. And all the little details, if we were to add them to our worldview, then we'd be on this for the rest of my life and and my successors, because it's the whole Bible. The setting around us is terrible. America is coming apart. Christianity is compromising on every side. We live in the perilous times of the last days. There's more and more news every day of unbelievable, unbelievable corruption and ignorance and profanity in our nation. Non-biblical worldviews assault us every day by worldly and satanic efforts, and our flesh loves them. But we come to James 4, 4, and our worldview better be different from the world. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The adulterers and adulteresses, that's describing our spiritual adultery. James is writing the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's writing the church of God, the saints of God, believers, baptized believers, and telling them that they're adulterers and adulteresses for befriending the world, for flirting with the world. And so we don't want to do that. Right here we see that there is animosity and a great difference and a great chasm between the world's worldview and our worldview. And for us to cross over and start embracing some of their points, some of their inputs, it corrupts us to the point that we become the enemies of God. Because this world is his enemy. This world crucified his son. This world rejects him and defies him, even in America, even in our educational system, anywhere you turn. They do not want to stand for God and for the word of God the way that it's given. And so we're warned about that. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it tells us that evil communications corrupt good manners. And if there's a manner that we want to protect, it's our worldview. But evil communications, the music you listen to, the television you watch, the school you send your children, the school curriculum you use for your children, the friends you have, all of those are inputs that corrupt good manners. Good manners is our worldview, and our character and conduct resulting from it gets corrupted, perverted, twisted, modified, compromised, because we allow inputs. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It's only five words. We should remember it every day of our lives and cut off anything that starts to taint our worldview or corrupt our worldview. And you know, last Lord's Day, I mentioned a number of them, whether it's Fox News or Fox Sports or Fox anything or Rush Limbaugh or Disney or Forbes or Stephen Forbes, Or the Wall Street Journal, I'll pick on some of my favorites, Hollywood, the Drudge Report, CNN, they all have a false worldview. Their worldview isn't even close to the Bible worldview. And so do not allow your worldview to be corrupted. Everyone's got a worldview. That's how they make their choices. They don't think about their worldview. The average American today doesn't give much thought to anything. 
They just live, breathe, and look for pleasure and fun. And then when they collapse, they sleep a little while, get up and try it all over again. They're like drunkards. They don't think. But we should think, and we should know our worldview, and we should be measuring everything we do by it. Does this measure up to the two axioms that I've learned so far? God is. God gave Scripture. Are my choices measuring up with those two things or not? The true worldview reasons from a creator God to his proven revelation of the Bible to his perfect rules for life. That is called presuppositional reasoning, and we embrace it, and we're not afraid of it. They can call it circular reasoning any way they wish, but our presuppositional reasoning begins with God is. Their presuppositional reasoning is there ain't nothing. And they reason from nothing. And so they end up at nothing. You can't start with nothing and get something. And they start with nothing. And they start with presuppositions as well. They've never seen an empty universe. They've never seen chaotic gases. They've never seen energy imploding upon itself. They've never seen energy denser than anything we've ever seen before. They've never seen, experimented, nor can they theorize with any sense any of those things. So they reason from their presuppositions, which are nothing. They're insanity. We reason from the only reasonable one, and that is God is. God is. Faith believes two things. God is, and God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's a different axiom. Don't let me get you confused. I shouldn't have said it that way. God is and God gave scripture are the two axioms that we've learned so far. An intentional worldview. And that's one we want to have. We don't want to quote something. I'm going to end up giving you a table that's going to have all the axioms in it, neatly organized in an outline, neatly organized, and with links to expand the information, the level of detail for each axiom. But that isn't what we want. We want an intentional one that we get up with every morning and we live by. We train our children by it. We love our spouses by it. We work on the job by it. We reverence authority by it. We manage our money by it. We do everything by our worldview. And that's why we're studying it right now. An intentional worldview is not just a creed quoted at church or philosophy mantras in a wall mural. You know, I went to a university for a while in this city, and we had to chant its little mantra. And there's a number of you that went there with me and went there at other times and we chatted that little mantra, and that little mantra doesn't say anything. doesn't say anything. Jehovah's Witnesses can say the mantra at Bob Jones University as easily as a Baptist can because there isn't anything definitive or distinguishing or discriminating in that mantra. Catholics can say it. There's nothing in it that a Catholic would even be the slightly bit amused by it or, or, or abused by it quoting it. They would be happy to say it. And so we've got, we've got to constantly be assessing wherever we are, whatever we're doing, does this match up with my worldview? Right. And it gets easy. The more pre- It gets easy. It just becomes instinctive. Everything's about God. That, it's that simple. It's the glory of God. Everything's about God. Everything you're eating. Lord, this is fantastic. Thank you for giving this to me. Thank you for giving me a tongue that has portions of it that likes the salty and portions of it that likes the sweet. Thank you for giving me that thing to help me masticate my food and swallow it with pleasure rather than just stuffing it in a hole. I mean, God could have made us any kind of way, but he made it. And so everything can be about the Lord. And we we eat some good stuff in America. There's so many, everything, when the sun comes up and you feel that sun and he's, he's embracing you. He's kissing you with his rays of the, of the sun that he created. Do you talk to him about it? Right. Lord, that's magnificent. Oh, that feels so good, Heavenly Father. Everything's about the Lord. You're going to work, and you thank God for the job he gave you. Even if there may be issues with it right now, you thank God that you have a job right. and that you can go and work and you're going to get paid for it. Everything. You don't worry about anything. He made your body. He made your spleen. He made your liver. He made every cell in your body. 
If a few of them get together and conspire against the rest and you end up with cancer, God's in complete charge of your cancer. He's got the cure for it. It may be a little painful getting to the cure, but as soon as he takes you out of this world, it's over. The cancer's over. You're not over. You're cancer-free, and you're in heaven. And, and, you know, that sounds a little rough, because no one wants to get cancer, really. But if we trust God and are every day trusting him, when it comes, then we know it's his will, and he's going to see us through it. And if we keep trusting him, he will see us through it. We want an intentional worldview. An intentional worldview is the framework to guide every thought, every spoken word, every action. So we need to establish our worldview as true. We need to review it often to refresh our memories. And we need to exercise it in every choice we make. We need to consciously think about it. How am I facing this difficulty in my life? I have a choice right now with my money. Should I spend it on this vacation that I don't really deserve and that my pastors preached against until I have all my financial house in order, or should I put it away in savings, or should I pay off some debt? Choices like that all come back to a worldview. Because it's God's government of your life. And we appreciate Him giving us a view of how to live. So it's our worldview. Now there's a conflict between our worldview and everyone else's worldview, and there always has been. The first two boys on the planet that we're told about, and there were others, at least sisters, and you know why, but there were two boys, and they each had a different worldview. Right. What did they do to each other? The one was perfectly kind. The younger one named Abel was perfectly kind to his older brother, but the older brother killed the younger brother, and the Bible tells us why. Because his works were evil and his brother's good. That is hard to comprehend that in this fresh, virgin-like, but sin-destroyed and corrupted world, world, Cain killed his brother because Cain's works were evil and Abel's were right. You would think that he would have apologized to his brother for not being a good example as the older brother and asked Abel to forgive him and to teach him the true way of worshiping God and that he would never do that again. But nothing like that, that's the way it should have happened. But Cain killed Abel, and things have never changed. The hatred and the animosity that, rel that wells up in the wicked because of the righteous. They look at them and hate them for doing things right when they should love them and follow them and befriend them. It's always been this way. It always will be this way until the Lord Jesus Christ ends it all. Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139, I am right now wanting to give you a verse or two or three about the violent hatred between worldviews, and it does go in both directions. The world hates our worldview, and we hate theirs. And we're not ashamed to admit it in this church, because the Bible tells us to admit it, and the Bible tells us to talk about it. And we read a little bit of it in Psalm 9, and we looked at some verses last week in, in Proverbs chapter 29, where we're told by Solomon that the righteous hate the wicked and the wicked hate the righteous, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it should be. Proverbs 29.10 and 29.27, but that's not where we're going. We're going to Psalm 139 to get the words of the sweet psalmist of Israel named David. Psalm 139 and at verse 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Listen to the sweet psalmist of Israel. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, even within the nation of Israel. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. It should bother us immensely to hear men take the name of God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in vain. Right. I come from a state in the north where it was used all the time. Jesus this, Jesus Christ that. Because the north is a little bit different than the south. It was terrible. Those Roman Catholics have no regard for the, for the Ten Commandments that they were taught about not taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. They would do it constantly out of their mouths. 
They didn't, they didn't even know that, right? Jesus anyway. So every time it was coming out of their mouths, it was some satanic caricature, not the one that I worship. But I still didn't like it. And I had my way of answering them to make them think about what they were saying, and I'll not tell you about that right now. Psalm 139, verse 21. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them on enemies. Now I sound so hard, so severe, so strict, so Neanderthal, such an anachronism here in the pulpit right now by using a passage like this, but this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God, and this is the man after God's own heart. This is that plucky little fellow that loved to pluck on his harp and kill bears and lions and and giants in his spare time. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Those are the Bible words for him. Jesus is called the son of David over and over and over and over all the way to the end of your Bible. Jesus is the son of David. This is how David talked because this is inspired language of how we should think and how we should talk. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Come over to John chapter 15. And let's see the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, describing the hatred that the world would show toward his apostles as they had shown toward him. I'm introducing our worldview again and why it's important and how we protect it and how we have to identify false worldviews and never compromise with them. They hate ours. We should hate theirs. Because theirs are contrary to God. They are the enemies of God. Even if they are religious folks like the Protestants that we just heard about. We hate their worldview. Worldviews got to include church history. Because church history is part of the word of God given by the God that is. John 15, 18. Jesus said, and we covered this a few months ago. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. God has chosen us out of the world. He's chosen us to be different. He's chosen us to believe different things. We do not ever want to choose to be different just to be different. We want to be compatible and conventional in as many ways as we possibly can. But when it comes to the Word of God, we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ who called us, chose us, and then showed us how to live. And the world's going to hate us for it. This doesn't mean, like I told you last Lord's Day, that we're ever violent, or we're enemies of society, or we reject the Bill of Rights. We love the Bill of Rights. We love the Bill of Rights. If they want to build a new mosque in Greenville someplace, so be it. We'll send flowers. We want to cooperate because we believe in the Bill of Rights. We want as much rights for the, Mosle- for the Muslims. You know, they're constantly changing what they call them. They used to call them the infant, you know, all kinds of names. I guess it's Muslims now, and I guess it's Islam. Um, but we want, we want freedom of religion for Muslims. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's right. Because in the freedom that they're allowed, we're going to have freedom. Right. We still outnumber them. 10% of the nation is Baptist. Two percent of the nation is Muslim. So we want religious freedom so that we can have freedom to worship. Right. But that doesn't mean we agree with anything they stand for. Um, but we, we, we will get along with them, and we appreciate our government. A lot of false teachers were going to arise in the world, and the Bible tells us about it in the pastoral epistles, the three of them, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and then it tells us also in Jude and in Second Peter chapter 2. And I'd like you to turn to Second Peter chapter 2 briefly. We're talking right now about the difference in worldviews, and I'm introducing you to the importance of the matter and that the, the Bible warns repeatedly of false teachers arising that would teach a false worldview. 
and I can't preach 2 Peter 2 to you in its entirety, and so I'm, I'm trying to limit myself down to just a few verses. So let's go to verse 17. 2 Peter 2, 17. This is the inspired words of the living God about false Christian teachers. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, 2 Peter 2, 17, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. They're going to hell. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. They corrupt Christians, believers. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. They promise them liberty, moral liberty. You can live as you want to. In our church, we won't throw the book at you. You know, the First Baptist Church of Malden used to advertise out on their front sign those words. Come back to church, and we promise we won't throw the book at you. But the purpose for a pulpit and the purpose for the Bible is to throw the book at you. Because it's the book we all need to know how to live and for what sins we should repent and what things we should do. They promise them liberty. You know, Joel never preaches strictness at all. Joel Osteen I'm talking about. He preaches liberty. They promise them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption, the corruption of sin. Verse 18 is, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. I spent some time again last night ruining my night of sleep by listening to Ravi Zacharias. The man does not know what he's talking about, but he is certainly eloquent, and he is certainly intelligent, and he certainly has a wonderful vocabulary, and he knows how to use it, in a very skillful way, but he doesn't have a clue. Right. When it comes to the Bible, he doesn't have a clue. I had to listen to him last night because there was a whole crowd, including some, that were clean escaped of them that live in error, that were there to learn more truth. And one was a preacher, and he was asking, is Roman Catholicism a heresy? Now, what do you think Ravi's going to do? For Ravi to ever go to Oxford or for Ravi to ever speak at Harvard, or for Ravi to ever speak at Cambridge, he has got to give the right answer. Just like Billy Graham learned to give the right answer, just like Joel Osteen learned to give the right answer, he never answered the question. He never said anything biblical about the number one enemy of Bible Christianity identified in the Bible, which is Roman Catholicism. Because it's the because it looks like Christianity. John wondered in the book of Revelation when he saw the great whore, which was the whorish church of Rome, riding into power on the Roman Empire. But, you know, Ravi couldn't do it. But, oh, the great swelling words of vanity. I'm using Ravi right now because of the text. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, it sounded so intellectual. It sounded so neat and creative. But there was no truth in it. And when they got to the end, he sat down and they all applauded. And I'm on the verge of homicide. I hope everybody understands that. My wife was the only victim. <laughs> Poor thing. But I, I want to see these worldviews come against each other. And there was a man asking, Where, what is the worldview of Roman Catholicism compared to ours? And by the time Ravi got done... There isn't much of a difference. Just amazing. But it fulfills Scripture. All of my words are to introduce the importance of this subject to you and that you will hold it fast for the rest of your lives and that you will get up every day and live by it and that you will make sure every single one of your children know it thoroughly and know the other worldviews so that they can put them and show the discrepancies and the errors of the other worldviews. God ordained fathers to teach children. God said of Abraham, I know him. 
I know Him, that He will command His children to keep the worldview of the Lord after Him, that I may bring upon Abraham all the things that I have promised him. Now, I corrupted the verse just a little bit. It says, I know that He will keep the way of the Lord. I changed it to the worldview of the Lord because it's the same thing. The way of the Lord is our worldview. It's the way the Lord wants us to live. And God knew that about Abraham. And we want every father in here, including Titus, to be Abraham. Titus has claimed he wants to be a father like Abraham, and the rest of us need to do it as well. Yeah. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That nurture and that admonition of the Lord is the Lord's worldview for life. How they view sex how they view speed limits on our highways, how they view taking care of their car and changing the oil on time. Everything is influenced by our worldview. Everything. How they obey their parents. How they make it to church and they prepare for church and they stay awake in church and they guard their friends and they don't listen to worldly music. All those things are part of the worldview of a man that's following the Lord. Our first two axioms... God is, and God gave Scripture. And after, you know, that's how we look at life and perform life's functions. The importance of prayer. Just think about those two. God is, God gave Scripture. What do we get from just those two? The importance of prayer, Bible reading, confession of sin, church, and sobriety. Depend on them. All you, all you need to do is say, God is. And that should humble men, make men sober, Make men think, make men choose carefully in all that they do and all they believe and all they say. Because God is, and He is greater than you, because in the beginning He was there and you weren't. And He had to give you being or you wouldn't be here to even know that there is a God. God is, every day, God is, everything. Look, at the, there's beautiful sunshine out there. I have a better angle than you right at the moment, but there's beautiful sunshine out there, but God is. But it affects us to pray, to read our Bibles, to confess our sins, to go to church, to be here with other brothers, and to be sober. Our work ethic reflects the highest master and the motive, reward, and pain stated. Look at Colossians chapter 3. How hard do you work on the job? You know, some people say that the Germans have a great work ethic. Others say that the Poles have a great work ethic. I mean, the Poles are hardworking men. The Poles have their own little city in the Detroit area, and they populated the auto plants there. The, the city's called Hamtramck. And the Poles were hardworking men. And, and, you know, we get these ideas that there are nations that are harder working than other nations, and that is true. But Christians, regardless of nationality, regardless of race, regardless of anything, regardless of sex, regardless of age, should work as hard as we can for that age. And it says so, and it's based on a worldview. And it's what a worldview teaches us, and all we need is the first two rules. God is, God gave Scripture. Because look at this, Colossians 3 and verse 22, servants. Now this is what the God that is said on how to work, which he wrote in the book that he gave us. So here it is. This is our worldview about work ethic. Servants. Obey, <laughs> no one in here dislikes being told what to do any more than your pastor did. But it says obey. Servants, obey in all things. Your masters according to the flesh. Even if we know there are significant religious, doctrinal differences between us and them. It doesn't matter. Masters in the flesh. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, not just to get a raise as men pleasers, not just to make them happy, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Because you're never going to be completely happy with your masters. It's going to be an up and down roller coaster relationship. One day is going to be different than the previous day, and it's going to be different from the next day and how you get along with your master. But you have a master in heaven named Jesus Christ. And so in singleness of heart, 
your heart never varying with one motive, and that is to please Jesus Christ, you go to work and you work hard, and you obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Run around. Don't pace yourself. Run around. Chase it down. Do it. Do it hard. Do it fast. Run back for the next one. What else do you have for me to do, boss? Instead of running to the canteen or the, the, the Coke machine, run and do it. Do it heartily. Do it excitedly. Do it passionately. It's all included in those words. This is what a worldview does. And so we can show the world our worldview by how everyone in here that goes to work tomorrow works on the job. Different than everyone else. Few work like this description. Verse 24, here's the motive. You know, the Lord puts promises again with some of his commandments. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Stop thinking about the little paycheck down here to get yourself a $6 pizza from Little Caesars. Think about something a little higher. A little higher. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. On the job, tomorrow, you are, Tiger River, you are serving the Lord Christ. And you're earning your inheritance. And do it heartily. Show them zeal like they haven't seen before. That's a resort in South Carolina for anyone that doesn't know. <laughs> Verse 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God is, God gave scripture, and look what he said about how you work. Look at that 22nd verse, obey in all things, not with eye service, single heart, you have one motive, one motive all the time, fearing God. Look at the fear of God comes out uh, with you, in you on the job tomorrow. And whatever you do, do it heartily as if you're doing it to the Lord. Sometimes we talk in this church more about showing charity and kindness as unto the Lord because the Lord references that in Matthew chapter 25. When you have a guest at your house, it's nice to wait on them and provide for them as if it were the Lord himself. But when you go to work tomorrow, work as unto the Lord himself. You have that opportunity. You don't have to wait for the rare occasions of someone in your home for hospitality. You've got the opportunity coming up in just a few minutes. Tomorrow morning, by the grace of God, notice how it is presented in the Bible. The commandment in verses 22 and 23 of how to do it Verse 24, the paycheck you're going to get when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, that you will be fired and punished and hurt if you do it any other way. I love the word of God. I love, the, look at verse 25. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God doesn't care one bit about your explanation why you didn't want to work hard on the job. He is coming after you. That's all in a worldview. You say, I didn't think about it like that. Well, I'm trying to help you think about it like that. Two other axioms. Scripture is absolute truth and Satan is real. We're going to get to that today, the Lord willing. We know if it is supernatural, but not of God, then it is of the devil himself and hell is present. Right. We believe that Satan is real. Whenever you find a worldview that says Satan isn't real, you have found a false worldview because Satan is real. Satan is a real enemy, he's been a real enemy, and he will be a real enemy until the Lord Jesus Christ grinds him under his foot and throws him into hell. And we'll be right there helping him do it. That's what the Bible teaches. But we see all that in the Bible. If God's glory is our destiny and purpose, we get up in the morning, God is. I have been created for the glory of God. What can I do today for the glory of God? What has God given me to do that I should do with the might of my hands for His glory? That's how we should live. If that is the case, social media should be used to bring Him glory, not you. Give me a couple of minutes on social media. What worldview do social media users have? What's their worldview? Is it about God? Is their worldview about others? Or is there a worldview about themselves? Oh, I want to show everybody what I had for breakfast this morning. I'm going to tell you a secret right now. Nobody in the whole world wants to know, nor do they care. 
except you, because you're in love with yourself and you have a worldview that is entirely different from the Bible. Unbelievable. Oh, Lord, take us back 200 years. Let us plow a single or double bottom behind a couple of strong creatures that you made and let us not see the rest of this world and have them give us all their little devices so that we can tell everyone how much we love ourselves. Unbelievable. If your worldview is to get up, what can I do for the glory of God today? It's not about you. It's about Him and it's about others. Remember, I thought it was declaring His doings to others. Do you know where that leaves you? All you are is a conduit from God to others. What can you tell others about God? Constant selfies and the popularity of Instagram have created narcissistic and haughty self-lovers, just as the Bible warned. The result of a look-at-me use of life creates loneliness, disillusionment, and mental illness. And the, the chickens are coming home to roost, and I love reading every document. I celebrate in my office when I read yesterday that one out of five children in America have mental illness. Because I know why. They've been handed those little devices and told that their friends are people that like them on Facebook. That'll ruin you. Because when you call on a friend like that, they're never going to do anything for you. They're going to say, who are you? Well, you liked me. Oh, are you serious? I liked 2,000 people last week. It's insane. Worshiping yourself or your children is inferior to worshiping the devil. Who's far superior to you or your children. I don't understand it. Why do you want to tell anybody about yourself? Tell them about the Lord. God doesn't care about you this way. Neither does anyone else. When you're comparing selfies. We are dust rebels before God and we should be serving others. Let us get down and look up at Him. Just the first axiom should slow down or end thoughts of showing yourself to anyone else. God is. God is. God is. No one cares if you are, but God is. Right. And you know how I mean that. We're nothing in comparison to Him. We're not even the dust on His scales. He takes up the aisles as a very little thing. Amen. The Bible told us over and over in those chapters of Isaiah that we studied recently. Lord, help us. Save us from these temptations. Let's talk about America and Russia for a minute. You know, America and Russia have been national antagonists and worldview opponents for the last 75 years. I trust our government, but I wish they had listened to General George Patton, who wanted to take his third army another thousand miles past Berlin. Let me take the next problem out of the way before it becomes a big problem. He was feeling his oats. His army was ready. They were battle-hardened. And they had to divide up Germany anyway, so they didn't get all the spoils that they wanted and all the victories that they wanted. So he wanted to go on to Moscow. Love the man. That's the kind of general you want. they got to be held back, not encouraged to go to battle. I was raised by a father that taught me about Russia and communism and Democrats. I had communism equals Democrats. Um, when I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, the worldview difference is significant. Brethren, listen to me for a minute. I hardly ever do this. Hardly ever. But we're talking about worldviews, and Psalm 9 says, And the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. America, to varying degrees, accepted the first two axioms. God is, and God gave Scripture. You used to teach the Bible in the public schools. All those great institutions of learning like Harvard and Yale were once seminaries. Princeton, they all started as seminaries. They were training preachers of the Bible. Now look at them. Un unbelievable changes have taken place in our nation, and many of them over the last 75 years. But just think about the fact that our, our America did believe that God existed, and that God existed was not Allah. And it was not some vague divine concept. You know, once in a while they'd refer to the supreme being, and you're not sure exactly who they're referring to, but they knew the God of Israel and the God of the two testaments of the Bible. Right. 
our pledge. You know, we didn't get these words added. I, I hope you all know the history of our pledge. You know, General Dwight Eisenhower, who became a president, put the words under God into our pledge. Some of you were alive when that happened. I didn't look anywhere. Our pledge, one nation under God, and it's still there. Under God. Under God, and the God of this nation has been Jehovah. Our money, in God we trust. And God was the Bible Jehovah. It's still there. Now Russia, with its ridiculous Orthodox Church, and I have been to one, and been to one of their services, and you should go online and read a little bit about the Russian Orthodox Church, because it's the most ridiculous form of Catholicism in the world anywhere. Those men have more colored pajamas on, bright colors, than anyone you've ever seen. They've grown the biggest Santa Claus beard you've ever seen in your life, and they're swinging incense the whole time, and they're using a church language that no one, not even a Russian, understands. They're, they're, they're still back in the Catholic Church of 100 years ago using Latin. And it wasn't 100 years ago, it was only 50. But you ought to see a Russian Orthodox Church. Now, they'll allow a church like that because the devil isn't bothered by the Russian Orthodox Church whatsoever. They're not taught a single thing in a Russian Orthodox Church. All they hear is a bunch of mumbling, like the Muslims hear in Arabic, they hear in a church language of the Russian Orthodox Church. So that church is allowed. So Russia allowed that church, but politically promoted atheism and outlawed the Bible. How many of you remember the printing? A, mo a movie from Bob Jones University about printing Bibles for Russia. How many of you remember the book, God's Smuggler? His name was Brother Andrew, who smuggled Bibles into Russia, tortured for Christ. What got Richard Wormbrand into trouble was working on the Russian soldiers that were there occupying his nation. Look at the difference between the two countries. Look at America, one nation under God, in God we trust. Look at the proclamations that we've had for Thanksgiving over the last 200 years. Yes, they've deteriorated. But look at Russia, the effort to stamp out belief in God and to get rid of the Bible and to have to smuggle Bibles in while we can buy Bibles at the dollar store. It's a huge difference. Then look at the difference in results of personal liberty, progress, religion, happiness, hope, relationships, etc. is huge between the two nations. There, there are no American women offering themselves to be mail-order brides to Russian men. The concept is entirely contradictory to even the poorest girl with the least intelligence. Do you want to know about the other way around? There are many tens of thousands of beautiful Russian women offering themselves to American men, and they've been there for decades now. As soon as the internet would allow them to post their pictures, it's huge. And to me, this is just one more telltale sign of the difference between the nations. No one wants to live in Russia. No one wants to be married to a Russian man. A Russian man is a wife beater and a wife killer. 6,000 wives are killed each month in Russia. Now, we have the Me Too movement, which is a ditch. But it's a ditch in the protection of women. It's a ditch. I hate it. Let's not go there. But there's another ditch. And it's called No Scruples. Mm -hmm. Now, which nation do you want to live in? The nation that has... You're a woman. Do you want to live in America, where it's Me Too? Or do you want to live in Russia, where it's No Scruples? You're a secretary, and you're reading... The wanted, the jobs, help wanted ads. Things have changed a little bit in the last 15 years, but you know that I'm talking about something with first-hand experience. Second-hand experience being told by such a woman. No scruples. The ad will say, 70 words per minute, knowledge of Microsoft Office, five years of experience, no scruples. What does that mean? You'll sleep with the boss when he wants you to. In the ad. So little girls getting out of college over there, 
that believed in morality would fake marriages, have some guy fill out a marriage license with them and fake marriages in order to protect them from such a society. That's the difference between America and Russia. Measure it any, measure it any way you want. America is so much greater than Russia because we have a worldview that is entirely different than their worldview. They want to exterminate our worldview, and I want to extirpate theirs. Love what we have here. You know, when I send out those Thanksgiving proclamations, when I do them, I know when I do it again. I know when I repeat myself on a Thanksgiving from some earlier Thanksgiving. But those words are fantastic. Those words are fantastic, and that's the foundation of our country, and we thank God for it. But I'm, now you know what's happened now. We're chasing Russia as fast as we can, and we're going right past them. Do you know that in 2017, the last reported year, Russians seeking asylum in the United States increased 40%? And just hold on. You think, well, that's another statistic that helps out what you're saying, that everybody that's in Russia wants to get to America, but let's hear the reason. Why have Russian men increased 40% wanting to seek asylum in the United States, which, which means it is hazardous to our lives to remain here in Russia. We want to come to America. Sodomites. Sodomites. Because our nation will protect them now. And that nation won't. So guess what? We're passing in the night, aren't we? We're both in the night now, and we're, we're passing them in our descent into hell. The worldview and how important it is. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And now we're forgetting God. They forget God before us by a number of years, and now we're doing it. Lord, have mercy upon us. We need to live righteously so that our prayers are heard in heaven as the righteous that can spare this country. And we should never think that it needs to be a great crowd because God told Abraham, if 10, I will spare Sodom, that city, the city of Gomorrah, the city of Zeboim, and other cities of the plain, I will spare them. Zoar is the other city. There's a number of cities there in the cities of the plain of the Jordan River. Our worldview forms our opinions to be entirely submissive to God and the Bible's rules for our lives. So we totally oppose the world and its addiction to their lusts, the devils, and their peers. You know, the, the world's in love with themselves. I live for comfort. I live for family. I live for feelings. I live for love. They don't even know what it is. I live for money, friends, flattery, image. We don't want any of those things moving us. We want God is, and God gave Scripture. And he told me in the scriptures how he wants me to live for him. Narcissistic Americans and the martyrs that we remember every Sunday have entirely different worldviews about life. The young man that presented the martyr today, he asked you a question. It's a question that we ask often. If I was in the same situation, facing enormous pain, torture, and death, would I compromise my religious convictions or would I hold to them and endure that? And you know, Americans can't even say no to themselves on any front. They're given over. The Bible says in, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, they are given over to lasciviousness with greediness. It's not just lasciviousness. It's lasciviousness with greediness. They go it after with a greedy, greedy, covetous way. More sin, more sin, more lust. Lord, have mercy upon us. We should wake up to start every day with God in view and the Bible's rules for the day. God is. Have your children all learned Genesis 1-1? I'm sorry that I did not send a Friday update this week. I was going to send a two-year-old that had memorized Genesis 1-1. Is there a one-year-old that wants to make a stab at it? You have all the way until, the birth, until you turn two. Gabby? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. That, that starts our days off right. That starts our life off right. That starts a marriage off right. 
in the beginning God. We want those four words are so important to us. God is, God gave scripture. He wrote a book. He wrote a book and he preserved it. It was written over so many years by 40 different writers, but one author, and he told us about himself. He told us about our origin. He told us about the purpose of our lives. It's his glory. He told us how to live those lives. He told us the future outcome. We know where death came from. We know death's cure. We know why there's corruption in the world. We know why roses fade. We know everything that's necessary or needed or profitable to know because He gave it to us in the Bible. We don't have any intellectual superiority. We don't have any educational superiority. We have revelatory superiority by having the Bible and believing it. Thank you, Lord, for that. And He created all things and so on and so forth which we will deal with when we come back from our break. And I know I didn't get very far right now in my list of, you don't want to know, axioms, but I did, get as, I did get where I wanted to go and show you the importance of it again, and are you gripped by it? It's intentional. It's not just ceremonial here. It's not just words. It's not intellectual. We want it to be part of our beings so that we make our decisions by it, it will give you the greatest motivation. It will remind you of the greatest reward. It settles dilemmas. It gives you high purpose. It gives you noble purpose for living. It takes away worry. And it, and it just puts everyone in their proper place. You don't have to worry about saving anyone. Listen, if they don't love the God that you love, let them go love themselves. It doesn't matter. It just is so comforting, even if they're your children. Lord, you gave them to me. You've taken them away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm never going to vary in my love of you. I'm never going to change. It is the most comforting way to live about everything that can happen. You can lose your job and go to a prayer meeting that night in St. Louis, Missouri, and say that you lost your job, and you can get a job the next morning. Because you trust in God, because God is, and God gave Scripture, and cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Amen. Because we're His children. Right. And there's so many things in the Bible. It just makes life wonderful, even living in a sinful world, in a sinful body, around other sinners, life can still be wonderful. Right. Praise His glorious name. And we've only got to two axioms. We'll really be happy in the end. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.